Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and welcome to today's edition of This Week in Business History for May 10th, 2022. Hope this finds you well and glad to have you with us here today. Now, our episode today is focused on an intriguing character and an individual, a trailblazer in many ways, especially in the world of audiobooks, which is an exploding industry. So stay tuned as we tackle Dewey Hecht, the intriguing mind behind books on tape. And hey, before we move forward, be sure to take a moment to offer a review of our podcast and subscribe so you don't miss stories like this one day. So do that, uh, the review and the subscription wherever you get your podcast from. And again, as always, thank you for your support and let's dive right in. The Duval Dewey Hecht, who speaks to us in interviews and through the recollections of his friends and family, well, he was a man who, above all, revered intellectual enrichment. When you listen to him quietly respond to an interviewer's questions, politely acknowledge intrusions, and speak with precise detail about events that occurred decades earlier, it becomes easy to imagine him engaged in his favorite hobby, his long and slender frame rowing a boat through a clear stretch of water. He must have looked quite graceful, soaring through the water on a cloudy but rainless spring day. Now I say this not because I've ever seen it, but because he was a two-time Olympic rower who won a gold medal in the 1956 Melbourne Games. In addition to this Olympic rowing pedigree, Hecht went on to become a marine fighter pilot, a college English professor, an audiobook pioneer, and later a long-haul truck driver. Believe it or not, it was the truck driving that, according to his late wife, Anne-Marie Rousseau, he had dreamed of doing since he was still attending Beverly Hills High School at 16 years of age. Born to John, a stockbroker, and Clara Bell, a homemaker in Los Angeles in 1930, Heck's life began to form a beautiful symmetry at 16 when he developed that dream of truck driving. There's very little information from him directly on the matter, but many who express a love for long-haul driving say they love the solitude and serenity. The road is a constant calming presence, almost like a reel of the past and future laid out before you. A living metaphor for the passage of time that always places you at the center. Now, given his love of rowing and books, my bet is that he may have enjoyed this feeling as well. 
At a young age, Hecht expressed a desire to live and breathe the open road, away from most of civilization and the bustle of the city, the businesses, all from those elements of human life that we feel so alienate us from nature. By recapturing our connection to the earth and the fresh air, we can ground ourselves in the present. I believe Hecht not only understood this, but he craved it. Yet it wasn't the right time for a trucking career, for him at least, in 1948. While some aspects of the profession greatly appealed to him, Hecht's personality wouldn't have been able to stomach the long stretches with no physical activity and nothing but the sound of the wind to keep him company. His mind would wander too much. Like a sword needs a whetstone, a mind needs direction to keep it sharp, a task or a narrative to stimulate its imagination. So with trucking out as an option for now, it was during his time as a student at Stanford that Hecht realized his other dream. Hecht was long at six foot two inches tall, but lean. So the football coach at Stanford rejected him. Instead, he faithfully suggested that Hecht try out for a guy by the name of Gentleman Jim Beggs, the rowing coach. He must have been a natural talent. Hecht made the club and quickly formed an elite duo with a fellow student named James Pfeiffer. His partnership with Pfeiffer would become a friendship that lasted until after graduation when both men became Marine fighter pilots. With Olympic aspirations, the two maintained contact and continued to meet up for rowing practice as often as possible, despite being stationed some 700 miles apart. This culminated in their first success, qualification for the Helsinki Games in 1952. The event would end without a medal, however, a disappointment they would need to wait four years to remedy. Now, after discovering it, rowing was Heck's outlet for meditative serenity. It was a passion he pursued his entire life, from his Olympic successes to being instrumental in founding the rowing clubs at Menlo College and at the University of California, Irvine, also known as UCI. He coached, mentored, or consulted for the UCI rowing team in multiple stints, from the program's inception until the early 1990s. He also coached rowing at UCLA and Menlo College. In 1975, when the better part of his rowing career was over, he returned to his search for ways to continue learning and reading as much as possible. Now by then, Hecht was working as an investment banker in Los Angeles and commuting an hour each way. He was desperate to escape the hell that was a one-hour commute in LA traffic with nothing to listen to. So he first began by setting up a reel-to-reel tape recorder that would play books that were recorded for the blind. Hecht was happy with this solution temporarily. But as cassette tape players became more ubiquitous in the 70s, he spotted an opening. Unsatisfied with the kinds of books available on tape, he decided he would form his own company financed by the sale of his old Porsche. Books on tape, as it became to be known, was a family business with a daughter from his first marriage describing how she and her siblings would help mom and dad duplicate tapes and get them shipped off to customers. Later, the company would become an industry leader in providing its products to schools and libraries around the country. Hecht certainly picked his audience. 
He made it a point to advertise in highbrow publications like literary reviews and the Wall Street Journal. He was targeting, in his words, quote, the absolute upper 5% of the socioeconomic structure, end quote. With help from his first wife, Hecht built up a company worth $20 million by 2001. Now, while other audiobook publishers were paying top dollar to license new titles and bestsellers, Books on Tape started by publishing books already in the public domain. Hecht valued classic literature and certainly would not accept abridged versions of any title. This commitment to a certain standard of artistic integrity attracted as many as 85,000 private customers in addition to the schools and libraries. Hecht also made it a point to hire voice actors with skill, but who would be unknown, again ensuring the quality of the product at the lowest cost point. In another fateful twist, Heck's commitment to unabridged books led him to meet his last wife, Miss Rousseau, in 1991. She had responded to a competition that Books on Tape was sponsoring, asking customers to write a report on any book they had listened to. Miss Rousseau wrote about the 45-tape behemoth, War and Peace, by Leo Tolstoy. What she wrote was so impressive that Hecht would send her more books and request more reports. The two corresponded for years before meeting and eventually getting married. Rousseau would later say, quote, I cracked the code on how to get free books, end quote. Mr. Hecht, who apparently claimed that beauty and efficiency were the same thing, spent a lifetime pursuing this connection with nature and his humanity. UCI Rowing's obituary described him as, quote, erudite but rugged. He was always ready with a quote about life, whether from one of his mentors, master boat builder, George Pocock, or someone of great historic stature like Winston Churchill, end quote. I found one particularly illuminating exchange that he had had with the Wall Street Journal. When asked if unbound audiobooks cheapen literature, Heck said, quote, listening is just returning literature to its original form before Gutenberg got into the act. End quote. Gutenberg, as in Johannes, was a creator, of course, of the printing press. Hecht displays a keen awareness of the history of storytelling. For the vast majority of human history, there was no literature at all, just people remembering stories and passing them down from one generation to the next, kind of like the Viking saga. Even after writing was invented and the first great pieces of literature were created, most people had no access to them and couldn't read them if they did. Only for the last 500 years or so have books been widely available, a minuscule fraction of humanity's hidden history of narrative fiction. So as Hecht points out, audiobooks are perhaps an even more primal form of entertainment than reading. The solitude of reading has its own benefits, but when you add a speaker, you turn the narrative experience into a social one. Instead of the voice in your head, Another human being can engage your mind with fantastic tales in just the way most of your ancestors would have experienced. It also allows you to enjoy stories with other people present. Heck's daughter once told the Washington Post about how the two would always sit in the car after reaching their destination to finish the chapter of the book they were listening to. She points out the extraordinary irony. They were extending the commute that they once hated so much. 
It's the social experience of literature that Hecht returned to in 2001 after he sold his company, Books on Tape. At 71, he was a good bit past the age when he could row at a high level. Hecht tried consulting for Random House, the company that bought his business, for about a year, but didn't find enough interesting and engaging work. The company was no longer his responsibility. Hecht had his wife, millions of dollars in his pocket, and their golden years to look forward to together. More than this, he had created his own solution to the problem that once blocked his dreams all those years ago. The next step for Dewey Hecht was obvious. In his 70s, with the world at his fingertips, Hecht would spend the next seven years driving the open road as a long-haul truck driver, fulfilling his boyhood dream. According to his wife Rousseau, he had never been happier than during this time. The couple would often travel together, meditating on the silence and the stories filling their ears. Hecht loved works of history, particularly about World War II and biographies of Winston Churchill. Yet I do not doubt that he was a lover of all literature and probably not a bad writer himself. Here is a quote from a letter he wrote to a classmate describing a training day on Lake Washington in 1956. Quote, on this particular day, the skies dried but did not clear, and there followed one of those enchanted spells when everything is held in abeyance, the fading of the sunlight, the onset of the rain, and the restraint of heavy wind, so that we rode fully aware of the transience of the moment. And I can feel once again the high exultation and the confident expectation of what the future held." End quote. Whether he knew it or not, I think there is a great chance that Hecht was referring to the future he would create for himself. A future where books were accessible on tape for a wide range of people who wanted them or needed them. A future where literature would be more accessible to everyone. Gutenberg introduced printing to Europe and undoubtedly revolutionized the way information and stories are shared. Perhaps, however, we might think of it as a large branch off the main trunk in the history of literature, where Gutenberg invited us into solitude to read and enjoy with nothing but the feeling of our own thoughts. Hecht sought to bring storytelling back to its social roots. He not only achieved this, but helped to improve the daily commutes of thousands of regular people across the country and can be held up as an example of an entrepreneur with a product that really means something to them and other people. The kinds of products that can change the world and us for the better. Now the audiobook industry is some $1.3 billion in size now, with 96% of that market being digital audiobooks here in 2022. But one of its key innovators and successful entrepreneurs is now probably rowing that celestial golden shore with a smile on his face as Dewey Hecht passed away earlier this year on February 10th, 2022 in Costa Mesa, California at 91 years of age. That's just about going to do it for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed our show today, and I further hope that you can find your highest passions in life, just like 
Dewey Hecht was able to do. And hey, let us know what you think. We'd love to earn your review whenever and wherever you listen to this podcast. Of course, my co-host Kelly Barner and I hope that you'll subscribe to the show so you won't miss a single episode. We publish a new one every Tuesday. Now, with all that said, we wish you a wonderful week ahead. Hey, this is Scott Luton urging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.